Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Reverend Art of folkconjure.com, located in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. In just a moment, we'll be joined by our special co-host, Conjureman of conjuremanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California, and Deacon Millet of fouraltars.org in the high desert of California. This week, we'll welcome our special guest, Miss Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, bringing us today's tutorial on her new book, Astrology for Rootworkers, Spellcasting with the Zodiac in Hoodoo and Conjure, debuting at the 2023 Hoodoo Heritage Festival. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of hoodoo, conjure, or rootwork as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual hoodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening. But if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first let's catch up with our co-hosts, Conjureman and Deacon Millet. Conjureman? Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, welcome to all of you. I'm very excited to be stepping into the shoes of Miss Cat as she steps into the shoes of guests. We're having a little bit of cool chairs here. We don't always get a chance to be guests, Miss Cat and I, so this is one of those few shows that's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit exciting. It is related somewhat to our Oracle Hour, but we're also doing something very different. I'm very glad to see all the people joining us, uh, everyone tuning in on the phone and joining us on Blog Talk. Uh, let's start with just a little bit of updates on my end. Then we will check in with our esteemed guest co-host, Deacon Millet, always a fan favorite. Uh, things are all well on my end. I am gearing up and getting ready for the Hoodoo Festival, which is, I think, in about a week and a few days. So yes. <laughs> if you haven't gotten if you haven't gotten your tickets, this is your last opportunity really. Last few days to sneak in those tickets and really join us at this fantastic set of weekend workshops. Not only are they a fantastic opportunity to meet your fellow like minded root workers and root doctors and conjure practitioners, but it's also a chance to learn from professionals, from experts, people who have been doing this for a long time, and you will be exposed to a variety of really cool topics. Um, in addition to getting a, a fantastic introduction to several new books that will be coming out, one of which we will be talking about today. So it's really a one-of-a-kind. There are other workshops, but there's none quite like the Hoodoo Heritage Festival. It's the first and in many ways, the model that sprung all the various ones out there, and it remains in many ways unparalleled. So it's really exciting. I am looking forward to meeting many of you, to hanging out with my fellow conjure doctors and root workers. It's also a really cool opportunity to get readings. Uh, our reading wrangler, the esteemed Deacon Millet, who's going to be joining us as guest host, uh, is facilitating that. So if you've always wanted to get 
meeting with one of your favorite root workers, guess what? They're probably going to be at the Hulu Heritage Festival, and you can hang out and get a reading with them. So very exciting things ahead, and I am all ready to go for that. Let's talk with Deacon Milt a little bit, who's got a major hand in helping put these workshops on. Welcome, Deacon Millet. Glad you could join us as co-host. What's new in your neck of the world? Well, the, the biggest news for me is, is another uh, growth uh, of cases of um, candles. I've got 1,400 candles on the way to my house. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's always a, re- a relief because candles are not the easiest thing to get anymore. It's still yep. rough ever since COVID. It's been hard. So always a lot of celebrating when I know I can do another couple of months worth of work. <laughs> Um, But just so relieved to have uh, winter kind of over and um, sun and spring and joy and all those good things. So um, super happy about that. Looking forward to the weekend. Um, This is going to be my first to do Heritage Festival to do readings. Um, And uh, Reverend James is going to help some of the reading wrangling and I'm so grateful for that. So I'll be one of the readers this year. And that's going to be a treat for me. So I'm totally looking forward to that. And um, it's amazing the number of readers we have this year is just through the roof. So many people have have expressed a willingness this year to to take the phone calls and the Zoom calls. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, these books are just fantastic. We've got three wonderful new books coming out, and um, one of which we get to discuss today, and um, got the Sneaky Tricks book, um, the Adele Clemens book, and our Astrology for Root Workers book. So um, those are all going to be classes featured at the festival, as well as new books coming out. So um exciting time to be around this year. Exciting time is the exact word for it. I mean, uh, you mentioned something about pre-COVID levels. We won't even go into that because it's a whole can of worms. But I'm just going to say I agree with you. Things have not returned to the pre-COVID levels. We had a chance to actually talk to John St. Germain just recently, so we're very excited to have Ms. Kat, one one of the other fantastic authors whose book is coming out at the Hood. One of the things that makes the Hoodoo Heritage Trust so unique is that it often coincides with the publication and release of new books. And these books go on to great bestsellers and become incredibly important in the areas of divination, root work, magic. We've got a variety of different cool topics from the types of, of root work you can do, uh, the actual condition, materials from bottle spells to love spells, and even text around divination, bone reading, and now astrology for root workers. So welcome, Miss Kat, as our wonderful guest today. We're so excited you could join us and chat a little bit about your book. Before we start about talking about your book, let's check in with you. What's new in your world? What have you been up to since last week? Um, gee, um, I'm, I'm in, in the type minds. That's where you you go down into the caves and you hammer out little letter T's and little letter G's and then you arrange them into words. I've been uh, typesetting 
for the flyers that are going in the goodie boxes that are shipping tomorrow. If you want to be guaranteed oh, wow. to get a good, yeah, if you want to be guaranteed to get a goodie box, get it. Get get your tickets now. The goodie boxes will ship endlessly. I mean, until they're gone, but you won't have it for the festival guaranteed. So I have several flyers still to typeset before I sleep mm-hmm. tonight. And last night I was yeah. up until four thirty. And oh, wow. uh, Pornagashiva was probably up till 7.30 or 8, maybe 9 in the morning. I don't know when. Um, getting my audio together for my workshop. And as many of you who know me know, I don't really like to appear on camera. I'm cross-eyed, and I just not, I'm just not into how I look. It just doesn't feel right to me. So it's not that I'm um, secretive. I'm just more shy. And so... Papa G has again, once again, um, in in his loving and friendly and kind and talented way, is going to produce video to go with my audio. So it's just going to be a message from outer space, from Cat Ironwood, and then <laughs> it'll have incredible pictures provided by Papa G. And so I recorded and edited the video last night. He's working on the um, video uh, complete, you know, all the pictures right now. And I really have to thank Nagashiva because I packed it in at 4.30 in the morning. I said, I can't stay awake anymore. And he still had um, images to get together to oh, clean wow. up and send to Papa G. Plus, he had to do a review of the audio. So he's working. About, we're just working on fumes right now. I have, I mean, it's one of those days where I got up, I've had four cups of coffee, and now I am on my first cup of tea. That's how bad it is, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's well, so we bad we've have... it's so bad we've switched caffeine in midday. <laughs> well, we certainly love Papa G for all the amazing work that he's doing, and and yeah. you know, hopefully, you get some sleep over the next couple of days because yeah. oh, he's the, the festival, the much deserved sleep. Yeah, he's he's really amazing, and um, I, I just cannot thank him enough. He's so talented with video editing, and he just really puts it together nicely. So, a great um, shout out to Papa G. Um, yeah, and also yeah, to Reverend Roy, who's putting together the goodie boxes. And as for me, if you all follow me on Facebook or Instagram, you'll see a picture of a very nice-looking man surrounded by azaleas and rhododendrons. And if you've ever been to the Lucky Mojo Curio Company, you'll know where this is. This is the courtyard. The courtyard... Um, sort of got overgrown with ivy during COVID, during I don't know what, um, the ivy just went crazy. And uh, we had all the ivy ripped out, English ivy, an invasive species. And we are now, as soon as the ivy was ripped out by Alfredo and his wife and son, who work as a team, um, I looked at it and just my mind went, azaleas. And... Mm. And if you look at the photo, <laughs> it's, it's Alfredo with rhododendrons. I got some rhododendrons, too. I couldn't help it. So it's Alfredo with rhododendrons and azaleas. And um, it's my homage to Bellingrath Gardens in Mobile, Alabama, the uh, most beautiful azalea gardens I ever saw when I was young. And um, we have hopes that we will now have a courtyard filled with azaleas. And... Um, It'll be a lot easier to maintain than English ivy. So that's what's new here. 
something in oh, nature, something in the pixel and book minds. You know, it's what it is. Some something natural, something sleep deprivation, a little bit. Of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, exactly. right, exactly. Well, it's worth it. Sharing with that. Yeah, it's all. It's all I just have to shout out to Reverend Art. Reverend Art said Alfredo looked like he meant business in that photo. That's right. I was. I said I'm going to take a picture of the azaleas, and I said Alfredo, if you don't want to be on social media, I'll just take a picture of the flowers. And he just struck a pose, and he goes, I want to be on social media. And I went, Okay, Alfredo, there you go. <laughs> so he's very heroic, and he's got his velcos. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool. So well, let's cool. dive into our really exciting and cool topic today. We don't want to take up any more time. Or have I've published a new fantastic book that uh, I've I've been hyping up for several several months now. Uh, Astrologer for Root Workers. It is in many ways a massive contribution to a big gap in the work. Root workers are interested in astrology and astrologers are interested in root work. And there seems to be some type of disconnect in the conversation. When astrologers get into root work, they're sort of lost. They're looking for for practice, but they're not always connected to the black community. They're not always connected to uh, these various supply shops. They're not always connected to the actual traditional self. And sometimes you have root workers who are interested in astrology, but they've come under the misunderstanding, that it's completely false, that there is no astrology in root work, completely forgetting that there is a real history of it there. This book, in many ways, is a way of bridging that gap as a conversation between the two. Now, if I remember correctly, originally you had written flyers for the black folder that had astrology for root root workers, if I'm not mistaken. Because I remember reading Mm -hmm. these flyers back in the day. So can you talk a little bit about the origins of this book, what inspired you to write it, uh, and if it's connected to some of your previous writings, like the flyers in the black folder? Yeah, you are absolutely right. And I mentioned this in the intro to the book. This book is 15 years in the making. It's kind of funny to say because it's a small 96-page book. Um, About uh, 15 years ago, uh, my friend um, at the time, Christopher Warnock, wanted to, he was a student of mine in the Hoodoo Root Work Correspondence course, and he really came out of um, the Western esoteric tradition, and particularly classical astrology and Renaissance astrology. And he wanted to combine what he saw in root work with what he saw in astrology, and he wanted to work on a project with me. We were going to do it together, and he was going to present it at the very first Hoodoo Heritage Festival. And um, on the, at the last minute, he bailed on me. He just said, I'm not coming out. I'm not doing it. I have no notes. Goodbye. And truth to tell, he and I have actually never spoken again. I'm not angry. I just, that was, you know, it's one of those when someone closes a door in your face, you have to go, hmm. Now, what we had planned was that that lecture was going to be a a send-off for a video course that we were going to teach on astrology for root workers. And he had written some chapters, and I had started uh, and I had written some chapters, too, and they were interleaved, his and mine. And I just sat there and brooded about it. Every few years, I'd look at it and I'd say, I don't want to be, you know, um, disrespectful to him. He put in some work on this, too. But his theories about it were different than mine. And I, I think that disconnect that you mentioned, Conjurman, is so true. He did feel that disconnect. He felt that it wasn't 
um, something that he understood fully how astrology connected to root work because he was thinking in terms of aspects and in astrology aspects are the relationships between planets measured in degrees you usually need to be able to do a lot of math to figure out the aspects and read uh, the tables and then do logarithmic math before computers you know and that's not what astrology is per se so I brooded about it and brooded about it and I kept on writing on it and then taking bits out and finally I just said it's really time to do this book and so I did it on part of it I mean I acknowledge Christopher his ideas and mine were intertwined I have carefully teased them apart as much as I can so that's how it started. But what I really wanted to do was talk about how astrology became popular in America. And that's what you saw in the black folder. I basically took some uh, illustrations of old conjure shop advertisements for astrological spiritual supplies, zodiacal perfumes and candles and so forth. And I also showed how astrology was everywhere at the beginning of the chromolithographic color printing process when uh, cheap wood pulp paper and chromo printing got together to make all of these catalogs with these beautiful covers great show card lettering, beautiful images, and every company was putting out little booklets. And in order to make the booklets have permanent or semi-permanent value, it wouldn't just be about take our cascara sagrada pills and, and visit the bathroom regularly. It would be the cascara sagrada pills almanac because then you would keep it in your bathroom and read it for the year because it would have articles on palmistry or whatever, and it would also give the moon's signs for every day. And these almanacs proliferated, and so did literacy among black Americans. After the emancipation, there were the Freedmen's Bureaus, and people, uh, you know, learned how to read and write, and that had been prevented from doing so. And there were universities and colleges for black people, and us black astrologers really hit the ground running. But the intro to astrology at that time was so broad. Um, the railroads put out almanacs. The um, medical companies did. And I mean totally straight medical companies, not you know herb companies or something. I have a, an almanac from the Bell Telephone Company. They give you the moon risings and settings and what sign of the zodiac it goes in and what um, uh, sign of the zodiac rules, what organ of the body. Everybody did that back then. Nowadays, almanacs are not as common. Printed material is not as common. But there is a, a time period about 100 years ago in which black root workers absorbed astrology wholeheartedly. And I cannot say that it was purely African astrology, which of course did exist. Every culture everywhere in the world has looked up at the stars and said, oh, there's some meaning here. And what's interesting about astrology for root workers is that the root workers who adopted um, astrology did so through the almanacs, and they did so with particular emphasis on the moon and the sun because those are visible, and to a lesser extent 
on the planets like Mars and Venus and so forth because those um, ingresses and trackings through the signs and egresses out of the signs were not marked in the almanacs. The almanacs were about the sun and the moon. And so that became the, the knowledge that was available to everyone who was a root worker. And anyone who ever bought a, a box of baking powder or a box of tea would get an almanac. And so that was something that was um, in the air at the time. And I think that it has somewhat um, gone away because of the rise of what was called scientific astrology. And scientific astrology is much more concerned with mathematics and the little fiddly bits and particularly leading to computerized astrology. But what the wonderful thing is, with computerized astrology, it has freed everyone from having to do math. Now you can just go online, punch in a date, and there's the horoscope. So astrology is again becoming something for the every person to see. So that's the genesis of the book. And part of it was to demonstrate to people who were disconnected um, or were disconnecting the two threads. I, I had friends who were black who told me black people don't do astrology and i'm like oh my gosh how could you just dispose of part of your own cultural history that way and that was shocking to me so i wanted to bring it back as a big bouquet of loveliness for the black community but i also wanted to bring it as a big bouquet of loveliness for the astrology community and just as you said only to have them meet and say Oh my gosh, we've got all this in common. There you go. That's the story. Lovely story, too. Do you think that we've um, kind of all almanacs mm. or no um, in every bathroom, in every um, <laughs> that? I, as you speak about it, I feel a sense of loss. Um, mm. mm-hmm. that, that somehow that there's a disconnection in more in a much deeper way um, from from the the world around us. I I agree, and it's it's funny. Of course, I just bought a really beautiful old 19th century almanac, and the month of January has been torn out. They were used as um, bathroom paper you know, in outhouses, and someone tore out the month of January down it went. Um, but the cover is still beautiful. Um, yeah, I I do think that something has been lost, and it's a connection to nature. And mm-hmm. it's the only, you know, the problem is that connections to nature are being frayed on all levels, you know, connections to the animal world, the plant world, the insect world, all of that is being frayed. This is the stellar world. And I think I've mentioned it on this radio show before. What is so shocking to me is to find young people who tell me they didn't even know the sun comes up in the east. They didn't know. They didn't learn it in school. And so I can't, I mean, I could, um, but I'm not going to start that basic, like, hey, guys, the sun comes up in the east, and here's how you can find the east, you know? I mean, it's just, it's whatever. I can't back that far to basics. I'm not teaching kindergarten here, but I'm not, this is not a college-level 
class in astrology. And there are going to be astrologers who are going to look at this book and say, why did she mention houses but not use them? Well, I mention them because if you really do want to study astrology, you do need to know about houses and aspects. But they were not used in astrology mm. for root workers. They they right. were there there are people there is one interview with a an African American um, woman who talks about your ruling planet might be Neptune. And I'm like, boy, she was up to date but she's the only <laughs> one. And right. she obviously and uh, and Harry Hyatt who interviewed her called her, you know, an exceptional person, but she obviously knew how to read an ephemeris or she would never have said that and she would know how to cast right. a chart. And there were black astrologers, Um, Dr. E.P. Reed cast charts and Edward Lowe cast charts, and there were others. And they are uh, a small number out of all the root workers in America, but you could send for horoscopes in the mail from them or from anyone. Mm -hmm. There were all of these black-owned newspapers that were um, in, in the during the days of segregation that had ads in them. Have your you know get your horoscope, get your astrological forecast, and I collect those. Um, I pretty much collect anything printed on paper, I think. And those usually came in an envelope, and inside you'd unfolded it, and it would be a either it would be an eight and a half by eleven, or it it might be. Um, eight and a half by 14 legal paper, but it would, it would unfold and there would be a little message from the astrologer. And then there would be pages of predictions for the year for you. Mm. And anyone could buy these and they were for sale in black owned newspapers all around the country. Well, that's interesting. I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the, uh, uh, you said you, that you found an almanac from the bell company. Where does it, what time period is that from? 1934. Wow. That is amazing. Literally, it has a freaking picture of the bell telephone, you know, the bell, right? And the open open is all, it's all astrology all the way. But there's also little articles about, well, you know, one reason they do use almanacs to advertise bell and other large companies that they said, well, on this date in 1897, the first bell system, blah, blah, in Cleveland, Ohio, or whatever it was. In other words, but, and... And the moon is entering Taurus. They're using the almanac to advertise their accomplishments. Right, that's um, fantastic. Almanacs from smaller companies or companies that had not been so long in existence would usually advertise, um, or not advertise, but promote uh, historical events in American history, uh, you know, George Washington's birth. If the owner of the company was Catholic, it would have all sorts of saints. Um, birthdays or feast days in it in mm. addition to the moon those are not as common but they do exist mm, that's fantastic a deacon miller says something really powerful that there is a sort of loss that happened this is a theme that i have found in a lot of your books is that you are you combine really good historical detective work with practical mm-hmm. uh instructions on how to do magic almost all of your text has a component of recovery Something has been mm-hmm. lost, and you recover that past. You sort of go, look, no, it's here. If you're saying black people didn't do astrology, let me tell you that they did. So you recover mm-hmm. this part of cultural history. All of your books do this. You either take a very fantastic global approach, like in the bone reading book, where you go, here's global folk traditions, or you recover something that has been lost. You go, there's been this bit of cultural history, this part of our memory that has been erased. Let me recover that for you. Let me show you that, no, it actually happened. But your books are also incredibly practical. 
they're an opportunity for people. They're an entryway into the topic. So can you talk a little bit, and maybe you can talk about the table of contents. If a person were to pick up this book, brand new to astrology, what would they learn beyond the really cool recovery of history? Well, first of all, I just want to speak very briefly on the recovery of history. Um, as you know, Contraband, my my mother was a research librarian yes. for the University of California, and um, my parents ran an antiquarian scholarly bookshop. And so I grew up it's in with your <laughs> it's genetic, yeah. Um, so that's that's you know, and it goes back farther than that. There are printers and publishers in my family going back to the 1400s when printing first became available. So that's just something in my family. But yeah. I'm an archivist, and I'm a librarian, but actually more than a librarian, I like things. I think that's the Torian part. My mother was a Gemini. She liked words. I like stuff. Mm. <laughs> so, so um, yeah. You're an um, archivist. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. But let's, we can go through the table of contents, and I'll like, I'm going to uh, put a little bit of through. Maybe, um, maybe Nagashiva can put a few chapters through. I know he has access to the table of contents. So I'm just going to run through it a little bit. First, there's the dedication acknowledgments, and then there's an introduction, and the first part is called Why Math is Not the Magician's Friend. And this is my story. I am I am dyscalculic. Um, I'm highly verbal. I have trouble subtracting 18 from 23. I mean, seriously, it's. I mean, I look at it and I go, the three so pretty. Should we do it with a flat top or it should be curled? Mm, the eight is curled. Let's do the three curled down. Now, what was it? 23 or was it 13? Oh shit. Was it, oh wait, oh no, what am I doing? So I can't do math. And um, it's just my my problem. So I actually can do it if I have a calculator or a paper. If I have a paper and pencil, I can do it. So, But I have noticed that a lot of magicians are like me. They love um, symbol. They love verbality. They love art. But math, not so much. There are some who do. but And then the second part of the introduction is where do these spells come from? Hmm. And this is, you know, basically a shout out to the folklorists who collected uh, magical spells in the African-American community, particularly Nubel Niles Puckett and Harry Middleton Hyatt. In the case of this book, there are other books that also have um, uh, you know, spell work collected by African-American folklorists like Zora Neale Hurston and Alice Bacon and so forth. But this book, really, the best sources were Harry Hyatt and Nubel Niles Puckett. And I collected a little bit now and then, too. And there's friends of mine. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things where these spells come from. But most of the spells are pre-World War II. And that is a pretty amazing in and of itself that this corpus of spell work exists. Mm. And I put in an astrological glossary, which is, you know, just sort of familiarizing people with words in a, one line. Right. One line definition is going to make a lot of people go, why did she even bother? But I really felt it was necessary. Then there's a section called astrological traditions. So this is an attempt to place African-American astrology in a wider 
a cultural context. And it starts off with, you know, basic Western astrology, Middle Eastern astrology, Arabic astrology, Vedic astrology, all of those types, you know, Renaissance astrology, traditional astrology, modern astrology, all of these names. And the idea is to just talk about what they are and then to end up focusing um, on African-American mm. astrology and astrological magic as we know it. And the first instances of that really are uh, in slavery times when we find these uh, coins that were used as magic that are um, picked, selected by slaves who wanted to escape to the north because they had stars on them. Mm. And because African knowledge of the uh, Polaris, the North Star, was very firm and was not lost. Yep. Um, no matter yep. where you go in the Northern Hemisphere, you're still going to see Polaris. And um, in black tradition, the name of that constellation that holds Polaris, or the two of them, is the Drinking Gourds. Uh, in Europe, it's the Big Bear and the Little Bear, or the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. There's many names for them. And so the idea was that if you... If you sighted Polaris, the pole star, it's always to the north. And if you follow the drinking gourd, you can get to freedom. And yep. so there were coins that had the word liberty or a lady liberty on them. And they had, just by coincidence, 13 stars. Now, the 13 stars to the white government represents the 13 original colonies. But to an African-American root doctor, it's the 13 moons or 13 lunations in a year. Mm. And it's lucky because it's, you know, it's a year. And then they would take and punch a hole in that top star usually, um, just literally obliterating it with a hole punch and wear it as a talisman, the North Star. And the, mm. and the coin has on it liberty, a woman with a cap that says liberty or a shield that says liberty. And these coins have been found all through the South, and they are dated before the Civil War. And when I was young, you could go into any coin shop, and they'd have them in a little box, and they called them slave coins. And they were known as slave coins. Then somebody tried to debunk it and say, oh, no, they're not really slave coins. And then everyone else came back and said, yeah, but they really are. And so <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny name for them, but a lot of people who were escaping north would wear those, usually around yeah. the ankle as a talisman. And, so that's early astrological magic in America that uses an mm. African form, but an American mm. tool. Right, that's fantastic. I mean, we know for a fact also that, that uh, African slave revolts were timed to the moon. Very famously, mm -hmm. both in South America and in North America, many of the slave revolts were all tied to astrological timing, that they would wait for new moons or the first crescent moons and that's how right. they would organize their especially if you're doing some sort of a mass organization that doesn't have a calendar system you can't say all right on the 6th of january we're going to do this thing and it's hard right. to get a message to a plantation that's 10 miles away but if you all know sacred timing we know that the mm -hmm. new moon is approaching you could organize around that so astrology is there right from the beginning and that leads me to sort of my, my other question here does the book go over uh, how to do sort of astrological timing not necessarily like the complex picatrix stuff but how to work with the moon and and, and the planet well, and how to think astrologically when it comes to magic yes that's the whole thrust of the book that's it. I love so that. the the next chapter is called astrological services, and this is really mm. just a little a little shout out to how 
um, root workers and how root working clients might intersect with astrology. You know, just definitions, mm. what's, what's electional astrology, what's horary astrology, and so forth. But after that, we dive right in. We start with the sun. And so first, the sun is the biggest of the seven sacred mm. planets, so-called. It's not a planet. It's one of the lights. So uh, we we all know about spells of the rising sun. You know, take that bath mm. when the sun is rising. That's African um, way of working. Spells of noontime, which is when you get, you know, to lay off from work for a while and take your lunch. And so it represents culminations and the zenith. And then spells of the setting sun, where you are discarding things and sending them away like diseases, and then spells of midnight, and those are, of course, darkness, and and again, depend on the moon. So that's a whole chapter on sun time magic, and it's very much domestic magic. You don't find a lot of people doing sun time magic for clients. Usually, root doctors would teach clients to do their own sun time magic, because anyone can watch the sun. Mm. And then... The next thing is sun sign magic. So now we have African root doctoring from an African astrological perspective meeting what I was taught politely to call Babylonian astrology. But you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. uh, ancient and ancient Middle Eastern astrology as interpreted by Europeans who moved to America. That kind of astrology. And so this is where we introduce Professor A.F. Seward, mm. my hero. Uh, Professor A.F. Seward was a, uh, an astrologer from Columbus, Ohio, moved to Chicago. He toured the world, and I mean literally toured the world. There's photos to prove it. He was in Egypt. He was in India. He was in Japan. And learning astrology in different uh, regional contexts and teaching astrology to local people. He was a a lecturer. He was a very odd, interesting person. But he intersected with the black community through selling his planetary hour calculators, uh, or indicators, I should say, to uh, Edward Lowe, the African-American shop owner in Chicago. They both lived in Chicago at the time. And he used the tagline, under what sun sign were you born? And he popularized sun sign astrology. He sold horoscope folk forecasts to African-Americans and to white people and everybody pretty much. So part of this book then goes into, let's introduce the signs of the Zodiac. And so we'd introduce them. And then I basically jump back on my promise that there will be no math. And the next little chapter is about the number 12. <laughs> and that, and that's, just, that's it. We go up to the number 12. And that then divides out into the four elements and the three modalities. And then another way to see the zodiac is where you put the modalities and the elements together. And I'll explain the elements are earth, air, fire, and water. The modalities are cardinal, fixed, and mutable. And every one of the 12 signs is a unique combination. And you can look at them. Thanks to your request, Conjurman, I put in how to calculate your phantom sign. And that is, you know, you asked me for that. Um, and And your phantom sign is where you add up all the elements that you have and give a hash mark to each one and all the modalities, and then you total them. Again, you don't have to count higher than 12. It's okay. And you'll find another sign. It could be the same sign, but you'll find another sign that's your phantom sign. Sometimes it'll be the same as your sun sign. You go, what was the point of that? But very often it's a different sign. And then 
I introduce Zodiac Spiritual Supplies. And this oh, is yeah. um, where, again, where hoodoo enters in and where we find these Zodiac Supplies and then spells of the sun through the Zodiac. And so these are older spells. So that's the end of that section, sun sign magic. Then hmm. we get into moon phase magic. So the sun, what I called sun time magic, could in a way be seen as sun phase magic, except for the sun doesn't have phases, you know. Um, I mean, it rotates, but we don't notice. Um, so moon phase magic is really strong, really strong in, this is the most important part of uh, African-American spell work. Moon phase magic, and so it, it, there's sections, uh, spells of the recurrent moon phases. This is when a spell starts off at one time and finishes the next month. It, re, it recurs. Or it can be on a subsequent moon phase, and some of them run from full moon to new moon, or, or they run you know, through the changes of the moon. And then the change of the moon. Now, I did something here a little bit presumptive. There's a real confusion in folklore and in scientific astronomy on what constitutes a new moon. Yes. Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about. To to yeah. an astronomer, a new moon is a totally dark moon. That yeah, is not what it moon. is. And yeah, the, yeah, exactly. And we call that the dark of the moon. <laughs> yep. And in folkloric yep. astrology, the new moon or change of the moon is the first crescent. So I had to sort out some of these um, spells because in some cases it's very obvious that they're talking about the first crescent, but they call it the new moon because they're being interviewed by Harry Hyatt and he's white and they're going to try to please him. But, um, right. you know, it's how it is. And then we have uh, spells of the waxing moon, which are for increase, any kind of spell to grow something. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that's all benevolent, but it's not. You can grow mm -hmm. somebody's tumor. I always think, you know, like you can grow somebody's... Um, debt, and then spells of the full moon, which are usually for prosperity and and culmination, success. The full moon looks like a coin, and so that's a good one for that. But you want to work up to it. You don't work on the full moon exactly. You want the full moon is considered to have three days. You want to work on the first day of the full moon, because otherwise, you know, you're you're it's going away already. And then we have spells of the waning moon. As the moon goes down, it shrinks away. And this is for reducing bad habits, for reducing people's lives to nothing until they die, for um, reducing sickness. And it's, a, it's an interesting time. You have to learn to kind of roll with that tide, you know. And then spells of the dark moon, which are pretty much bad, except for there is one that is to draw customers in, which I always thought was sort of an odd one. Um, but most spells of the dark moon are, um, you know, that's when you want to curse somebody. Mm, that's fantastic. I mean, just that correction alone. Well, I really felt I was going out on a limb uh, to do it, but I felt I had to do it because I didn't want people to misunderstand the way the speakers were describing the spell, you know. Mm -hmm. And in fact, well, Harry Hyatt 
had that trouble too. At one point, he's talking to somebody. I had to eliminate that and just compress the spell. But about someone, he and he says, "Is this the change of the moon?" And the person says, "Yeah, the change of the moon." And he puts mm. in brackets, "I had to determine what he was talking about." So he was aware of the fact that there was an ambiguity in those terms, new moon and change of the moon. Right, right. What's fascinating here is you're walking people step by step through a variety of different timing techniques, both on how to do the various spells associated with when the sun is doing this, when the moon is doing this, when the moon is waxing, when the moon is waning. But that what's built into the book is you is people understanding the logic behind it. You can yeah, now and- know when to do why, why this thing is happening when the moon is waning. You know how to time your other spells now to when the moon is waning. Exactly. And it's not just about timing. It's, I mean, it is a major, timing is part of what this is about, but there are actual spells. Um, Exactly. Just to, you know, just to um, give an example, I'm just going to, here's here's one that Harry Hyatt collected in 1935. To cure an ingrowing toenail, cut it square at the beginning of a dark moon and keep scraping the nail from the center toward the outer edges until the moon becomes light. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's it. It's a medical, magical cure. Or um, I'll give you another one. Um, in This is also collected by Harry Hyatt in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, 1937. Informant number 438 said, when you want to make a person do like you want them to do, Start on the last quarter of the moon, and you'll see results right after the next new moon. If you want to run a person away or hurt or kill them, you begin on the new moon, and they'll go away as the moon gets old. See, to move you from this house, I do it from the new moon, which is the dark, to the first Mm -hmm. quarter. And by the time the moon gets to the last quarter, you'll leave this home or waste away or die on the last of the moon. So what what the nature of the spell, were they using goofer dust? Were they using hot foot powder? Not explained. This person is simply saying that this spell to remove somebody, that is when you do it. And you can then add to it whatever you want to add to it. Um, And... Uh, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one other one. This is one of my favorites. Um, <clears throat> Menstrual curse from the change of the moon to the old moon. And this was recorded in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And Reverend Hyatt interviewed a woman called Miss C, like the letter C, informant number seven fourteen. And this is a curse made with personal concerns, including a menstrual cloth, to kill a woman. They say they can take the dirt from under your toenails and the dirt out from under your fingernails, some hair cut off your head, and with the lady people you know at the change of the moon, their monthly cloth, and put it all together and put it in a bottle and stop it up, and as the moon grows old, they fade away. So this is a death curse. But I um, I love the way <laughs> Miss C refers to the lady people <laughs> mm. at the change of the moon. So there's a there's an interesting idea here that at the change of the moon you get their menstrual cloth. Mm-hmm. There's a belief that most women 
will menstruate at the same phase of the moon most of their lives. It'll come, it'll vary somewhat. Of course, if they get pregnant, they get sometimes get off cycle. Mm -hmm. But as I interpret this, you can collect this, but the change of the moon is a polite, very polite term for a woman's menstrual cycle. When I was young, I asked a, a, a shopkeeper how long you should work to get a man back or how long a man should work to get a woman back. And what he said was, you cannot work on a woman more than a month because they changes every month. And what he meant was when they had a menstrual cycle and they've shed the lining of their uterus, they're ready for a new boyfriend. Mm. And that's the change of the moon is a very polite way to say the woman has a, 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 a change of her blood, of her interior structure. Mm. So anyway, that's, so there's two meanings to that word change of the moon, you see. Mm -hmm. So again, this, what's fascinating about this book is that you've got, first of all, as always, you've got a fantastic collection of spells. <laughs> it's like if you look for a spell, you're going to find it here. But in addition to that, you're teaching people to think astrologically in their magic, to think in regards to this. And this is a major, and all three of us are astrologers here, so we're a little bit biased here. But it's also true that if you ask any magician, any root worker, any magical practitioner, they will tell you, if they're a professional, that the secret, one of the big secrets, one of the big secrets, one of the big secret keys to successful magic is knowing when to do it. Mm -hmm. Knowing when That's to right. do it is incredibly important. This is why almost all the old-time root doctors, if you ask them, they would say things like, when the hours of the clock, the hands of the clock are rising, or when they're setting, when the sun is rising, when it's setting, when the moon is in this phase, or when the, because this understanding of when to do it, to, to connect it to the natural cycle, is the key to making your ability powerful. You once gave an analogy that was I thought that stuck with me, and I think you gave it like years ago. <laughs> This is Cat's impact. You said you could barbecue out in the rain, but knowing the weather and whether it's sunning or sunshine or it's rain is going to determine whether that barbecue is going to be easy or difficult. And this is like <laughs> right. what, ma what magic is like, right? You can barbecue in the rain. You know, the moon is in Scorpio and it's not a good time for love magic or whatever. So you, you can do it. You're not going to fail, mm -hmm. but it's going to be more difficult. On the other hand, if you wait for a little bit of sunshine, then suddenly mm -hmm. that barbecue was fantastic. It's atmospheric. It fits. You built that sort of natural rhythm. So this book is not just a really great introduction into just the topic of astrology. You can use it as a as a jumping point to study astrology further. It is literally about introducing people to the logic of how to think in natural rhythms. How That's right. These, but these are also the natural rhythms you can tap into. So you can get really creative here. If you learn from this book, you can start using your own spells in addition to the ones you learn in the book. Right. I, I'm going to give you one more again because I want to get, a, get people to understand this is not just a book about timing. It's also a book of spells. So exactly. um, here's a spell from 1935 from Adams County, Illinois, that, collected by Harry Hyatt. And it is to cure colic or incessant crying in a fussy baby. Write the baby's name and the names of both its parents on a slip of paper. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. This means a root mm -hmm. worker is doing it because obviously you would have the names of both parents. It's because you're the professional, right? 
Mm-hmm. Write the baby's name and the names of both its parents on a slip of paper and seal the paper in an airtight can. During the waning moon, three days before the dark of the moon, the mother carrying her child must throw this can into running water while saying, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, remove the colic from my child. So now we have the root doctor preparing this, giving it to the mother with instructions, go do this on that day. Isn't that cool? Wow, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah. You're, you're, you're seeing the secrets of, of professional root workers. Yes, that's right. That's what's so really cool. These are all things that, that people really do. Um, there's, a, uh, there's one I just put in that I was taught, uh, weight loss spell. I, the person who taught me wasn't all that old, but they weren't all that young either back in the t- day. Uh, collect as many smooth white pebbles as the number of pounds you want to lose. Show the pebbles to the full moon, and then on every day of the waning moon, throw one of the pebbles into running water. Do this spell only by the waning moon. That means you can lose 14 pounds a month. Mm. Cool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah, yeah. These are really good. I mean, they they are they are really cool. They empower the spell by the moon's phase. Right now, and you're um, looking at the range, a range of workings. I mean, you've talked. I mean, you weight loss. Talking about moon <laughs> Like you're looking. There's really kind of every condition is covered, right? Yeah, I did not cover these by condition. Usually when I do a book, I put, you know, love spells using the moon, money spells using the moon. These are by moon, by sun time, sun sign, moon phase. And then there's one on moon signs, okay? So now we're getting even farther into it. Now you really need an almanac. And there are some wonderful interviews that Harry Hyatt conducted with a couple of people who told their moon sign magic. And these would be um, involving watching for the moon's ingress into a sign when you understand that each sign of the zodiac rules a certain part of the body. And don't worry, folks, there are two diagrams in the book that show that. It's called the Grand Man of the Zodiac. And it shows Aries at the head and Taurus at the throat and If you've never seen it before, you'll see two different versions of it, but it's exactly the same information, just two different art styles. These were in all the almanacs. And so what you do is if you want to, for instance, you're going into a singing competition and you want your competitor to have a sore throat and be unable to sing, well, you're going to do something really awful to them when the moon goes into Taurus, which rules the throat, right? Mm. If you... If you want to capture a person's mind, you're going to do it when the moon goes into Aries, which rules their brain, their head. If you want to have sex with someone, you're going to do it when the moon goes into Scorpio, which rules their genitals. All of these things are part of moon sign magic. And that is a whole level that really came into hoodoo through the almanacs. Mm-hmm. And it shows some influence by European um, folklore. But even so, that all kind of expanded and blew up when the almanacs came, became popular. And almanacs have been around in America since the 1700s. Um, you know, Ben Franklin, Poor Richard's Almanac. But, but the real explosion of these almanacs led to uh, a, a widespread knowledge of moon signs. 
And then the table of contents goes on to the seven sacred planets. We get into planetary hours. Professor Seward reappears for a brief shining moment with his planetary hour indicator. Um, Planetary spiritual supplies. Again, you know, Neptune oil or whatever it might be. And then there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of theory about planetary weather and spell timing. And this particularly goes to retrogrades and eclipses and things like that that cause people some trouble. And um, bad planetary aspects, good planetary aspects, and my favorite, the moon void, of course. Um, when I was young, I thought, oh, it's void, of course. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think I'm not the only astrologer who looked at that and called, why do they call it void, of course? But the moon, the moon void, of course, is a period where the moon will not be making any more aspects to any other planet until it enters the next sign. And the moon void, of course, is mentioned in many almanacs because among those who plant by the moon, you must never plant when the moon is void, of course. And many astrology using root workers will never start a spell when the moon is void, of course, just like they won't when there's an eclipse. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Wow, I mean, I didn't even realize we we're going into the moon void, of course. <laughs> I know, I know. Is that, I got my little, yeah, right, I got in the moon void, of course. And then um, the last part of the book, starting on page eighty, is planting and harvesting by the moon and surgical operations by the moon, which is sixteen pages by my hero, Professor Alfred F. Seward, and this was one of his rare books. It came out in 1920. Um, Yes, you can find it uh, for free online. Don't bother telling anyone the URL. I have um, put it together in what I would consider more coherent form. It was just a pamphlet that he handed out, and it's pretty spewed out. It jumps around in topic, and you know me. I'm an editor, and I have the gall to edit Professor Seward, but I did it, and I'm very happy I did. And this is about the real rural knowledge of astrology having to do with planting by the moon's phase. For instance, when the moon is waxing, you plant or transplant any crop that you want the top of the leaf or the grain Mm. or the flowers. And when the moon is waning, you plant any crop that you want to go underground, that you want the rhizome or the root or the bulb. And But then there are signs. It's not just the phases. There are signs. There are signs that are good for flowers, like like Libra. And there are signs that are good for killing weeds, like Leo. And so you watch the moon as it goes through the signs, and you can do alternate, really, because they alternate from fertile to barren to fertile to barren. Not quite exactly, because uh, there's a swap between Libra and Virgo. And you you work on what the projects you're going to do around the garden, around the farm, based on whether you're going to be uh, working for fertility or whether to cultivate. Oh, we're out of time. On on and on, because this is really a, a fantastic topic, but also it's just a teaser. Get the book, people. <laughs> this is just a <laughs> teaser. I mean, the fact that we were unable to go over all of this really speaks to just how much knowledge you managed to pack into this book. I'm very excited for it. I, I mentioned before, this is the book I'm most excited about all year. Oh, and I hope you. that people too, I hope that people get it and it turns out to be a bestseller so that we can encourage you to write maybe a part two to this book. <laughs> uh, so I'm very, very excited. Thank you for joining us, Miss Cat. We're going to turn this over, uh, have a really brief uh, uh, announcement, and then we're going to move on to our readings.
Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org, and by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call 1-888-4-HOODOO or visit hoodoopsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and talk to today's client. Our caller today is Phyllis, calling in from my hometown area code 814. Mm. Phyllis, are you there? I am. Fantastic. Can you hear me? So I can hear you. And Phyllis has a very to-the-point question for everybody today. What's up with my love life? It's kind of a train wreck. Over to you, Conjurman. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's very straightforward. But you know what? We have questions like that because we can dive right in and diagnose what's going on. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think Deacon Millet is going to be doing our first reading. And then we're going to have Miss Kat come in and give the second reading. I will come in and give you some root work at the end there. If I'm not mistaken, this cat's going to look a little bit at the astrology too, so you're going to get a little bit of a preview. It's really cool of what you can do with astrology. So I'm going to turn this over first to Deacon Millet, who's going to do your first reading. Awesome. Well, great to meet you. Sorry that it's a train wreck right now, but um, this hopefully the the next few months will will get better. Um, I'm going to pull three cards from the Secret Bikini Oracle deck that I use and um, see what they have to, to tell me about what's going on here. The first card is Abundance, and this card shows a chalice overflowing with gold coins. Um, and oftentimes in love readings, this points to a material um, physical element uh, of the situation, um, often having to do with finances. So um, you may be uh, attracting people with um, bad finance. You may have difficulties with your own finances, and that's affecting your love life. Um, I've actually seen the opposite at times where um, your finances are doing great and you're attracting people who like that a little bit too much, um, which is always a problem. But uh, look to um, wealth and um, abundance um, in the physical realm as one of the factors here. Second card is like a bubble. I think this is one of the most beautiful cards in this deck. It shows a woman floating in pink and blue water. She's calm. She's supported by dragonflies and soap bubbles, and everything is just beautiful as long as she remains very still. But if she starts to thrash in any way, if the dragonflies fly off, if the soap bubbles pop, she sinks down into the water and drowns. This is a card um, that advises calm in all things. This is a card that says make sure you have a foundation underneath you, um, something solid, not something liquid, something that's going to support you firmly no matter what happens. Um, so now might be a, a time to uh, 
you know, take some sort of little self-help class in, in how to control your emotions. Um, and do some things that focus on who you are as a person. Create that foundation of this is what I will accept. This is what I won't accept. This is how I protect myself. Very good time for that right now for you. Third card is self-preservation. This card shows a mummy in the cold desert at night all wrapped up um, and protected from the elements. Um, and this card says uh, maybe you need to step away for a bit from this train wreck. Um, this card kind of warns us that um, there may be some people who don't have your best interests at heart. Um, you may want to uh, stop listening to some of your friends, I'm afraid. Um, you may find that there are people who are enjoying um, you being in a state of drama, that they, they kind of treat you as their personal soap opera. And um, you need to protect yourself from those people. So just a, a little bit of isolation, these cards seem to say, would not be a bad thing. Um, and focusing on your work, on your finances, uh, could really help your love life in the long run. Hope that's all. Yeah. Thank you, Deacon Miller. That's fantastic. Let's have Miss Cat do your second reading. All right. Now, um, uh, you're a Gemini, is that correct? Correct. You're the Phyllis who I think you are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I accidentally pushed the one, and you guys needed someone, and I was like, well, if you need someone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just so people know, I have read for Phyllis, and Phyllis has one of the most unusual horoscopes I've ever seen in my life, and I've told her so. And her horoscope is built around oppositions. And um, there are things on her that it's very interesting chart. And um, there's a polarity on her chart that runs between the mid-heavenish era, area down to the nadir area, up and down, with some other things going on. Now, I did a horary chart. Now, when you do a horary chart, horary means of the hour. And when, when the question was asked, I went to my little phone program called Celeste, and I got a chart immediately. So I'm looking at that chart, and here's the answer to the question. This chart that I got on the time at the moment that I heard the question asked is also built around oppositions. And so, <laughs> yeah, this is expressing some of the same things that are on your natal chart, Phyllis. In this case, the chart is built around an opposition between Pluto at zero degrees Aquarius and Venus at 29 degrees Cancer, also Mars at eight degrees Leo. Now, we had talked a, a week or so ago about how we were having all these ingresses where planets were entering new signs. They've now begun to move into those sounds. And I remember at the time I said Venus will be the last one to go and move. And it still is just lingering there in Cancer. It's about to go into Leo. But Pluto is at zero uh, Aquarius. Saturn is at seven Pisces. Um, Jupiter is at zero four Taurus. 
And so there's still a lot of this, and, and Mars is at 8 Leo. There's a lot of ingress action happening, which means a lot of oppositional things happening. The seventh house of the chart rules partners. It can be business partners or it can be the love life. It shows Jupiter square to both Venus and Mars and square to Pluto. It's a very unfortunate aspect. It's called a T-square. And it says that something similar to what Deacon Millet said, that abundance, money, Jupiter in the seventh house is there, but it's going to be affecting negatively the love life. And there's some difficulty here when Pluto opposes Venus and Mars, and Venus and Mars would represent um, a heterosexual love life, um, generally speaking. That's not good. And there's some anger. There is some jockeying for power. I would say that when I see this this thing going on, that there's a question of who who is the controller of the relationship is going to be part of it. Now, there is some good aspects. Neptune is in Pisces in the sixth house, and it is trying to Venus and to the midheaven, and it is sextile to Pluto. So Neptune is the imagination, and it is trining, which is a beneficial aspect, and sextiling, which is a minor beneficial aspect. So this is almost like lost opportunities are regained in the imagination. Work with your dreams. Work with, and I don't mean just literal dreams, but work with your reveries. Work with your daydreams and your dreams. That's where you're going to find more mystical power. Uh, Neptune in Pisces. It's very mystical. It's very artistic. But right now, there's a there's a blockage, um, and the seventh house is just simply receiving squares from this opposition, which echoes the opposition on your own chart, meaning this is a bad time for you. Okay? Does does that make sense? Does that uh, answer yeah. your questions? Okay. Yeah. Does. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, can can I ask you a real quick question, Ms. Kat? What would be a sign of the seventh house right now? In your chart? Oh, that that uh, the uh, it's Aries. Oh, it's an Aries. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes. Sense. Yeah, see, makes sense. I had Libra. Uh, when the moment I asked the question, it was Libra rising. Aries on the seventh. Aries is ruled by Mars. Jupiter in the seventh is square Mars, right? It oh, in wow. the tenth. You see, it's real ugly. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry, it's real ugly. Plus, which Mars is opposed to Pluto, and um, mm. Pluto and Mars are, you know, what I mean. They they they're the night and day houses, or Pluto is a reflection of Mars. I mean, you know, it's not. This is ugly. That's all I can say. It's not a very pretty chart. Sorry. I mean, if Miss Cat has seen your horoscope, you might consider setting up sessions with her. Uh, in the future about some form of astrological remediation, just to consider, especially if there's some strong opposites. Whenever you have like a long-term love problem, they can generally indicate. I mean, I go over this more in depth in the Love Uncrossing workshop, so I'm tuned into that. But they can mm-hmm. indicate things like a, cro- uh, a star-crossed condition. So, for example, Saturn, Venus opposites are very common, you know, examples of things that will slow down love, make you go long periods or spells without love. So just you might consider some form of astrological remediation at some point to help address some of these conditions, particularly if there's something horoscope-related or needle-related 
it can be enduring. And when you do uncrossing work or you do a little bit of magic to, to fix it, it can sometimes be tempered because the natal condition will reassert itself. So this yeah. is an example well, of what you can want I to just, have. I don't, I don't want to yeah. give away, you know, this poor woman's yeah, yeah. entire life, but she's got two planets at the top opposed to two planets at the bottom, and so that's four little, uh, you know, X opposition. And then she's got a couple of planets making a sextile at a slant, but they don't connect. And then she's got uh, two more sets across making a sextile at the bottom. That's her entire chart. And okay. really, and they don't connect with each other because some are in the first decanate, some are in the second decanate, some are in the third decanate. So it's three yeah. separate things. I know it's a chart. I've never seen one like this before. Um, and I hate to yeah. use, you know, this is one of those, if I was doing, you know, radiological teaching how to read an x-ray like dr jeremy right i told that look at that right this is a prime example of this is what's so weird is that the transits on the moment i did the horary echo that opposition right and okay. so but the good news is let, let's let's talk let's focus good news the good news, news. <laughs> yeah the good the news good. is that the good news is you're not doomed right uh, I'm telling you this as an astrologer who's worked remediations like thousands of them. I'm telling you that the natal conditions, no matter how powerful they are, aren't just this is your fate and you're, you're done with it. There's a reason why electronic astrology exists. There's a reason why magic and talismans exist because it allows us to change our fate or to adjust and ameliorate this condition. It's like being, it's like it's like growing up with a disadvantage. You can overcome those disadvantages. That's just all it is. So in this instance, there's a little bit of love and disadvantage, so consider some form of astrological remediation. To complement that, I'm going to give you some workings that you can do on your own, uh, even without the astrological remediation, that will alleviate these conditions. But if you want the love to last, if you want the goodness to last, at some point you're going to have to revisit Ms. Cat and talk about astrological remediation a little bit more in-depthly. So here's what I want you to do for now. This is the, this is the pill you can take to alleviate the headache. And then you're going to have to go and get a little bit further consultation to determine how to deal with your chronic migraine. So here's what I recommend. First, yourself a, a red and black double action candle. These are really great for any type of uncrossing work. I want you to also get uncrossing oil, love me oil. I also want you to get some woo and I want you to get some agrimony. What you're going to do first is you're going to take rue and agrimony, and you're going to burn it as incense. You're going to get a little incense holder, a sensor, a thurible, some type of heat-proof bowl, cauldron, whatever you want. And you're going to burn some of that rue or agrimony. You can also get uncrossing incense. You're going to set this on the floor, and you're going to set a chair in front of it, and then you're going to sit down on that chair so that the sensor, thurible, incense holder, whatever you want to call it, is in between your legs. You're going to take a. You're going to take some type of towel or some type of, of blanket, and you're going to sort of gently wrap it around yourself so that you're sitting in a teepee. You've made a little enclosure. You're sitting on the chair. The incense is in front of you, and the incense will incense will waft up. Let all of that touch every nook and cranny of your body, allowing it to remove anything that may be tied to you, anything that may be holding you back. 
You're going to pray sincerely from your heart. Lord Almighty, I call upon you to cleanse away all that holds me from true love, to remove anything that holds me back, to break apart all cross conditions. You're going to throw off the blanket, let the smoke hold the doors. You're going to set aside the incense by your, the incense ashes by your front door. Then you're going to take the red action candle. You're going to cut off the top of it, flip it, and carve a new literally reversing the candle. You're going to then you're going to take uncrossing oil and anoint the black portion of it. You're going to take love me oil and anoint the red portion of it. I would recommend use two different hands. So use your left hand to uncross the oil with the uncrossing oil, your right hand with the love oil. Place this on a heat-proof dish or bowl and ring it with violet leaves. Just take violet leaves and sprinkle it in a circle. Light the candle and pray sincerely from your heart that all things that were sent your way, whether they are crossed conditions from an enemy, a rival, or from the stars themselves, are reversed, removed, and taken out of your life. Let the entire thing burn down. It's important for you to watch the way that the wax does the wax burn towards you? Does it burn away from you? Are there images and figures that appear in the wax? All of this can be used for divination. Once it's burned down, you're going to gather everything, the ashes of the incense, the violet leaves with just a pinch of it, you're going to hold back, the uh, uh, wax remains of the candle, and you're going to take them to running water. You're going to toss it over your left shoulder and walk away without looking back. You have removed these conditions. The pinch of the violet leaves that are left, you're going to sprinkle in your front yard to open up your doors towards new love. You can repeat this as necessary. Start this while the moon is waning, ideally on a Monday or a Friday. This will help to reverse and uncross the conditions that you experience and open the doors for new love. But again, you're going to have to follow this up with some type of more in-depth remediation. I strongly suspect you'll likely need some type of talisman or something of the sort to deal with this ongoing condition. Let's see if Miss Cat or Deacon Millet have anything else to add here. Well, I sure don't because that was very thorough. And I, I love the use of the, uh, again, several parts to the spell because this is a <laughs> contraband spell. And we have we have the incense, we have the um we have the candle, the candle. And we have the disposal. Yeah, right. It's a it's it's one of your um the the um, only thing that I would add is that knowing that this is a long standing condition, I would do it um you know, either at the change of the moon or when the moon is uh, waning to remove bad conditions. Mm-hmm. But I would be prepared to repeat this a couple of times. Um, yeah. It's a very yeah. complex situation. It's not an easy situation, but it's a great spell and it's a good start. It's a good start. And probably some sort of talismanic magic would be useful. Highly recommended. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that you will be able to find love in your life. Don't be disheartened. All the best, and thank you for entrusting us in this situation. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with some announcements. LMC. You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, 
on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, Mystics, Mages, and Magical Places with Reverend Art and Reverend James, Mondays, 4 to 5.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, the Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, Thursdays, 1 to 2, and Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8, all time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern. All of our shows are available in archives at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com, where you will see them listed by title and episode and with clickable links. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Miss Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California. Here's Miss Cat. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a spell out of the book Astrology for Root Workers, and this spell is, can be found on page 43 of the book, and I titled it Pins, Needles, Coin, Reversal, Full Moon to New. In 1937, in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, informant number 438, a woman who was a professional root doctor, told Harry Hyatt how to reverse a curse from the full moon to the dark moon. Now, before I get into reading what she said, I want you to think about this. First of all, he was uh, interviewing professional root doctors, and he noted them as such. Second, this was a woman Third, this was in North Carolina, which means it was regional. And fourth, she's working in an unusual way from the full moon to the dark moon. It's not called a spell of the waning moon. It's really the whole shooting match from full moon to dark moon. Okay, here's what she said. When someone hurts you, she means with magic, and you're trying to turn it back on them, you buy a new paper of needles and a new paper of pins. Okay, footnote. Pins and needles used to be sold in papers, usually a hundred of them if they were uh, uh, pins and maybe 50 if they were needles, or they might be a hundred of each or 250 pins. But you have to get a whole new paper of needles and a new paper of pins. You do that right on the full moon as it's going away. Oh, another footnote. When I read a spell like this, I actually go to eBay and buy vintage packets of needles and pins because now they come in plastic boxes, and I don't want them in plastic boxes. I want to do the spell the way it was written. You can find vintage papers of needles and papers of pins. You put on a quart of water and put a 50 cents or a dollar or a dime, any silver piece of money in there. Now, in those days, they did have silver dollars and silver 50 cent pieces and silver dimes. That's what she's talking about. And let it come to a boil. If you're hurt, this money will turn over. It'll turn with the boiling water. So this is a diagnostic. Were you really hurt? Now remember, this is starting on the full moon. The full moon looks like a silver coin. This coin will flip in the boiling water if you were really hurt. If you weren't hurt, you can stop right there. Okay? Then you drop nine needles and nine pins in there and make your wish that whatsoever they do to you may return back on the ones that put it on you. Well then, 
you boil it down by half, for instance, and boil it to a pint. Then you make this same wish again, and you go on until it gets to a cup, and you wish again. You never boil it clean completely away. You drink this water warm, you see, to take this spell off. And then you take those needles and pins to a river, and you can turn around and walk backwards on your way to the river. Don't never turn around after reaching the river. Be in the position that you're going when you throw them away over your shoulder. In other words, walk backwards. And never look back. If you do it on the full moon, then by the time it goes completely away to the dark moon, this spell is off of you, and those needles and pins, they're done and washed on away, and you keep the coin. There you go. That's a spell. That is amazing. I love Isn't that. It. It, Isn't this that... is like one of those working, if you hadn't recovered, it would have been lost to time. Oh, yeah. I love, and you could see Thanks. the you could see the historical moment that they're living in, right? You can see the, in the, the items that they're using at this particular time period. But it's also incredibly practical and incredibly useful. And I can see us reusing it now in 2023. There's some things about this, the paper of pins and the paper of noodles and why they're new. Almost all spells that call for needles and pins say that you should buy them new. Yes. They need to be, you know, they need to come from the factory. They're put in the paper by a, a machine that just went, you know, stab, stab. But um, they, they're not to be handled. They're not your common domestic needles and pins. Presumably what's left over you could use for dressmaking. Um, I will say one time I was in a Goodwill store in Oakland, and I like to use vintage sewing stuff notions, and I saw a paper of needles, Eagle brand needles, and I picked it up and I thought, oh, I'll buy that, and there were nine needles missing. And I went, oh, <laughs> somebody <laughs> must have used somebody It was just so weird. Now, maybe it was just coincidence, but I, but I didn't know this spell at that time. Harry Hyatt had not published his books at that time, but I knew nine needles would represent something, right? Yeah. So that was sort somebody of a trip. Was, someone was doing Somebody had used them, them. yeah. So this is also kind of the opposite of a container spell. We all know, Mm -hmm. not we all know, but many of us know who listen to this show and have read the books of stuff we've published, that there's a very famous spell where you put nine needles and nine pins and sometimes nine nails and nine broken razor blades or whatever into a bottle or jar and throw it in the river, right? But here, Mm -hmm. the boiling is in an open pot and you drink that water. So this goes back to another family of spells, which is drinking the milk in which you boiled the silver dime to take off witchcraft, right? And mm. that, that spell is even described by um, Blind Willie McTell in one of his songs. So boiling a silver dime, and it should be real silver, not one of these bimetal dimes, boiling silver in milk and drinking the milk to take off live things in you or any kind of a curse right. is very old. So this is a combination, and it uses the river disposal. I don't know if this spell was unique to this woman. It is from um, North Carolina, so we'd have to find other people in North Carolina and see if they knew this spell, but it's brilliant. It's a brilliant spell. It is. It is. And even if it is unique to, to this person, you can see that the logic is, is well within the hoodoo tradition. It makes perfect oh, yeah. sense. Another root, another root worker would look at this and go, yeah, that makes sense. I know exactly what this is for. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Now, there's another part of this, too, because this spell contains so many 
building blocks. The other one is reducing the volume by half and reducing it by half again. We see that in many other spells as well. Thank you for this fantastic, fantastic spell, Ms. Kat. And thank you for joining us as a guest. This was such a fun conversation. And with our wonderful Deacon Millet, who we couldn't do this without, the three of us uh, really need to do an astrology chat at some point. Just so the three of us get together and we'll just shoot the shit when it comes to astrology. Let's uh, have our wonderful guide come in and guide us on out. We'll come back with some announcements at the end. Thank you, Conjurman, and thank you to Deacon Millet. And, of course, thank you to Miss Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us in next week when one of our favorite shows will be rebroadcast while we attend the 2023 Virtual Hoodoo Heritage Festival via Zoom. We'll return live on June 18th with another fine guest. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Conjurman at ConjurmanConsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California, and Deacon Millet via the Lucky Mojo Forum at ForumLuckyMojo.com. I'm your announcer, Reverend Art, joining you from FolkConjure.com in North Carolina. The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, and the shows are available in archive via LuckyMojo.com forward slash radio show dot html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at this same time when you'll hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thanks, everybody. Good night, and see you at the festival. Thank you very much, Reverend Art. Thank you for being our guide, our announcer, and leading us through the thicket of Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for all of you who tuned in and joined us both on the phone and online. Uh, if this show wouldn't be possible without all of you. Uh, don't forget that the Hoodoo Heritage Festival is coming up in a few days. This is your last opportunity to get tickets, to get a chance to hang out with your favorite root workers, to be in community with one another, and to get access to all these fantastic books that we have discovered. This is a chance to get readings, to learn new spells and techniques, and to just hang out with all the bright and best minds of the Hoodoo community in 2023. You can also, if you're interested, you can also buy these books directly from Lucky Mojo. Let's make sure that we make Astrology for Rootworkers a bestseller. I'm Conjurman. Thank you for joining us, and have a fantastic week. Bye, everyone. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you next